You're listening to New York's only home for reefer madness. Every week, we'll explore the unique perspective of cannabis in the global hub of commerce and culture. Hear the insights, stories, challenges, and successes of those blazing a path from Brooklyn to Buffalo and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Kalen Kassetter, coming to you from the Green Valley of Opportunity, Binghamton, New York. This is the Empire State of Cannabis. Welcome to the show this week. We have a really exciting guest, Mark Privatera. Uh, Mark is a leader and OG in the New York hemp industry, especially in fiber as one of the first businesses included in New York's pilot program. He's the CEO and principal engineer for Preprocess. Mark's family operates a dairy farm in upstate New York where he has grown hemp for fiber over the past few years. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kalen. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So why don't you uh, tell us what pre-process is, you know, from your website, it looks like you manufacture almost uh, every uh, hemp cannabis product here, but also way more than that too. Yeah, we're a bunch of chemical engineer, entrepreneur farmers, which is quite wow. a combination. And uh, <laughs> we, we start companies. So what we'll do is we'll, we'll have an idea or we'll have some technology or folks will come to us with uh, some developing technology. And uh, we bolt all the pieces together to get it commercialized. So we stand stuff up. We've done a lot of different things and we uh, use our skills in different uh, industries. So our journey to hemp is uh, as a raw material, as, a, as, a, as an agricultural opportunity, and then a raw material for feeding into what we hope is a lot of mainstream uh, products. So that's what we're all about. Yeah. So, so what brought you to hemp and what brought you back to New York? Because you spent a lot of your career on the West coast, right? Yeah. And we, we still have operations on the West coast. So we, we, we go across country a lot, which is, hmm. which is great because we stop in the middle in the mountains and we go skiing a lot in the winter. So, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a nice deal. Um, yeah. so, so, um, getting into hemp, well, we do what, what pre-process does is we try and look out like five years and see, all right, what's going to be the next thing? We like to be on the leading edge. So 20 years ago, we jumped out of corporate America and we jumped into biofuels and we were pretty successful with biofuels for all. Then, then we looked and saw, oh, rare earths were going to be a thing. So we, we jumped into rare earths. Then we saw lithium was a thing. So we jumped into lithium and, and we, we ran these for about five years, six years. We still have some lithium stuff going. Uh, we still have some biofuel stuff going and, you know, we'll, like I said, we'll create a company and then we'll either sell piece, sell it off or sell a piece of it off. It becomes something else. Um, you know, so then what we saw was uh, hemp what, about five years ago, six years ago, we saw hey, hemp's got a lot of potential as a as a feedstock and also as an ag opportunity. The dairy business is not what it once was. And, you know, the family's got a lot of folks dependent on, uh, you know, the farm staying. So for for a uh, a new cash crop because of course soybeans and and corn have their issues as well if you're trying to sell them especially out of northern new yeah. york um you know we wanted to get a new rotation crop with some with some value to it but we wanted to connect it to some higher tech product sets that was the main thing that we saw so huh interesting so so, so that makes sense so, so you know you're looking at so, so your, your family runs a dairy farm in upstate New York, right? And in the North oh, country yeah, yeah. specifically? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. So you're looking at some of the troubles there on the agricultural side in terms of milk increasingly commoditized and increasingly being pushed down, right? Soy, corn, and, you know, hemp 
possibly as diversifier, but you're taking your expertise in the engineering field and saying, well, hemp has some some great possibilities. What are some of the exciting possibilities that brought you to hemp on the industrial side? Yeah, so the structure in the bast is very strong and it's very light. Um, it's got a open structure that gives you a lot of surface area. So with that is one of the reasons why it's a, it's a bioconcentrator. So it, it'll grab certain elements of the periodic table uh, out of uh, different bulk areas. You know, if you, if you have a uh, arsenic and some heavy metal, certain heavy metal contaminated soil, you know, it'll draw it up. And that's because of that property, right? It's, it's, it's got um, basically space to uptake. So if you can take that trick that comes from nature and manipulate it, you can make it grab other things. So for instance, um, you can load the material, right? The bast, the ground bast with other, uh, other chemicals, other elements, and you can tune it to kind of go after certain elements. And that's, that's one of the tricks, right? So you can make a, a functional sorbent, right? Something that'll grab. So we all know that hmm. it, you can make a sorbent for like uh, bedding, but you can make uh, hemp, uh, you know, be attracted to other things. You can use it as a substrate. Then uh, the other thing that it does is it makes a really nice carbon. And carbon's a big deal. Carbon in, in the United States, I mean, all, all of our lives are dependent on carbon because of the water treatment, right? And uh, that's, you can make good water treatment carbon out of herd. But what's even more interesting is you can fool hemp carbon into behaving uh, towards some of the higher structured carbons that are that are very uh, interesting for our futures, right? It's not graphene and it's mm -hmm. not graphite, but you can do things to the hemp carbon uh, chemically that uh, get you part of the way there. So it's, it's a very exciting material. Yeah, absolutely. So when you talk about water treatment, what process of that water treatment uh, are you using the, the carbon in? Yeah, almost every uh, every water treatment plant uses a lot of carbon. Uh, it, it it grabs organics. Um, it it, uh, it uh, clarifies and it takes uh, a lot of the different um, sequential separations. Have uh, inorganic components, right? And then it has some hard chemistry, and then it has some organic chemistry. And the and the carbon is part of that sequential operation. So that's. Uh, you know, that's, that's usually, or that is where it's used, you know. Um, if you, if you uh, look at, at some of these filters that yep. uh, you put on your sink, you know, if you cut one in half, you'll see a uh, resin, a yellow resin, and you'll see some black specks. Well, that's, that's the balance, right? The yellow resin takes out a lot of the inorganics, you know, and the um, uh, black specks are carbon that take out and that's just a water treatment plant on a very small localized scale. So. Yeah. What's the source of that carbon then, what they're using usually? Uh, a lot of it's coconuts. Uh, coconuts make a really good carbon. Uh, of course, we don't grow many coconuts in the United States. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's imported. So, and, and the use of carbon, the, the, the amount of carbon that's going to be needed, uh, is just going to go up with uh, population and other applications. So, we're, we're, we'd love to say, oh, we're going to displace a, a foreign import, but really coconut doesn't have a big issue or, or carbon really doesn't have a big issue being imported. We're just going to augment 
using a you know an American grown material and convert it into some uh, higher tech materials. The other the other thing that carbon does is um, because you can fake it into kind of behaving like other carbons, more structured carbons, right? And remember, there's amorphous carbons and there's structured carbons. Amorphous carbons are like charcoal and, and hemp carbon. And then structured carbons are graphite and graphene, right? And graphene, of course, is just like phyllo dough of the graphite, right? So graphite is like like a baklava, you know, which I really like. And if you just peel the layers off, that's graphene, right? So um, you, you can fake amorphous carbon into behaving sort of like structured carbon, which allows you to do things in electronics and uh, allows you to do things in energy storage devices. Gotcha. So it so as you described in the beginning, and by the way, I love baklava also. So on, on the same page there with you, <laughs> <laughs> we have a great Greek restaurant in in Binghamton. Uh, but it when when you talk about what drew you to hemp as a raw ingredient, so we look at okay, possibly a substitute as a carbon, right? What is can hemp be? Uh, compare, you know, from a price perspective, can hemp be competitive as a carbon source, in your opinion? Yes, once the infrastructure for high volume uh, material throughput is in place. It's it's very difficult right now to say, I'm going to put in 10,000 acres and try and displace um, other raw material sources that have 100 years of infrastructure yeah but if we got to a million acres of hemp carbon you know throughout the united states and we had some processing infrastructure that was sized for you know 24 7 you know chemical industrial scale market uh supply assurance sure absolutely um you know it's it's really a a problem of of activation energy if 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 the the numbers are supported by visionary leaders. I lost you there, Mark. All right, let's get a restart point. You're describing the classic chicken and the egg scenario that we keep running into with hemp. So the infrastructure needs to be there, right? But who's going to build the infrastructure without the market? And the market's saying we can't take it unless we have the infrastructure. Am I seeing that correctly? Yeah, I wish I wish that you weren't seeing it correctly, but yes, you are. So it's it's challenging when we go after funding because I, my company's been successful, but not that successful, right? Not 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 hundred and two hundred million dollars successful, and that's really what we're talking about to get an infrastructure built. So but, when you talk about that is that one project, one hundred two hundred million? Are you talking yeah, about overall? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to to get a chemical plant, which this would be, to convert. Uh, enough raw material hemp, which would be, I'm looking at 50,000 acres, 100 million bucks, and that makes a decent scale for kicking out products, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, the, the numbers start penciling out. But, you know, you want IBIDA that is going to support that. And you want a, a group of investors that are going to give you the, uh, the, the, the support to get you there. So, you know, it's just finding the right people it's getting the tumblers all the line up and uh it happens <laughs> it, it does happen <laughs> so well it happened with cbd right they built it for a market that wasn't ready for that amount i mean there is hundreds of millions of dollars in investment in cbd extraction and nowhere for a lot of that oil to go and we talk about that a lot 
on this show. So a part of me thinks, and I, I brought this up, you know, with our interview with uh, someone Lupardo uh, that 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 ran a few weeks ago. It's that you know, wouldn't that investment have been better placed into fiber, right? Into exactly what you're talking about, and well, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, etc. But it, it almost seems like CBD was flashier, but there wasn't any more legitimate reason to invest into cbd than there would be into the type of infrastructure you're talking about right yeah it it in my opinion it all goes down to the product set if Mm. we can get the hemp to be a raw material in established product sets you don't have to teach the the consumer how to use the end product right it's like oh consumers buy cars okay Mm. and the product supply chain is looking for an insulating bat for the automobiles and and look we can make this out of hemp fiber which is antimicrobial and, and a good environmental story we just slipped that into an already existing uh product that the consumers know carbon we need water treatment carbon the specs are there you know how to make it okay uh we grow hemp, we convert it to water treatment carbon, and we slip it into an already existing uh, educated market. CBD, we, we've messed with CBD for the last three years, just like Dale. And the tricky part I see is we've had to try and educate the consumer. And it's a very hard thing to do. Now, it's, gonna, it's going to continue to grow, but it's going to take time to educate the consumer to get beyond the, the early adopters or to get beyond the folks that are skittish because of, uh, you know, the still misunderstanding, uh, you know, between CBD and THC and other things. So, so if companies invest in educating the consumer, they'll create the demand and it'll, and the CBD will, will, um, the market will, you know, become a little bit more stable than it is. I, I will admit too, there has to be a little bit more clarity on, on some bigger, uh, legal, uh, overhang, you know. Yeah, the, love, the FDA. Yeah, the FDA has to tell us whether yeah. it's a drug or a dietary supplement or a food, and it doesn't seem like they're in any rush to do that. You know. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah you so know. you don't have all those problems. You don't have all those problems with trying to slip into existing supply chains. So <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see a hundred, two hundred, five hundred million dollars, and that—that's the other thing. It takes that number to get these processing plants built that will be economic. Whereas CBD was almost, a, a, it was too, it was too easy to get into. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, you know, you can put 10 acres down with 20 people harvesting and you can sell your, your, your feminized harvest pretty reasonably. And people go, Oh, that, that's not bad. So, so that's the problem, right? It was almost too easy. So yeah. it's too much. And, and the fiber side needs, Big numbers. There is no ten thousand dollar or five hundred thousand dollar investment in a fiber system that's going to pay. You got to look at big numbers. And oh, it's not even a ten million is, investment, right? No, yeah, no, not really. No. no, and and that's one thing we've learned in in my thirty years doing projects in the chemical space. I mean, you've got to be ready to play big, right? So, uh, you know, the railroads project we did, we we did eight hundred million dollars worth of stuff. Uh, the lithium stuff was 400 million. I mean, it's, it's, they're big numbers. So if you take all the investors that are out there, let's say there's 10,000 investors and, you know, or investment firms, right. 
there's only probably a thousand that are interested in projects that big. And there's probably only a hundred that are willing to listen to you on on a on a on a hemp thing. These are mainstream investors, a little bit different from the from the cannabis investors, but sure, you know. So you've got you've got to find the right mix, uh, you know, the right organization that's like, yeah, I, I have a seven year horizon. I understand, you know. Hundred million bucks. Okay, so I'm expecting an EBITDA of of whatever their their risk profiles are and whatever they want to kick cash out to make it. You know, of course they want a billion dollar company after seven years. So you got to try and figure out how to put those pieces together. And it just it's getting there. It's getting there. You know. Yeah. Yeah. No. It 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 seems like it's getting there. But you know, in a lot of things, you know, it, it almost seems like the problem needs to smack someone in the face before they actually. Come to it. So the question is, is whether there's a problem. I mean, like I said, there's not a problem importing carbon. So there's not an immediate need for a substitute for carbon, right? I mean, it, no, it, uh, there isn't, right? So, so now the now you have to think of what the value add on hemp is, right? Sustainability, right? So you can sustainably grow it, sustainably harvest it. You know, we talk about jobs. Uh, we talk about you know revenue for farmers. These are things that it strikes me that an investor might uh, feel good about, but that's not going to make a move two hundred fifty million dollars right. into a project to do, right? So that's where the government. Oh, no, Kalen, you're exactly you're you're exactly right, Kalen. You're you should be in an investment house. You're asking the exact right, right questions. I I have not been able to uh, be successful in all the pitching we've done because you're right. They go well. What is the unmet need? Which is like entrepreneurial 101 right so yeah it's a it's a tough story at the moment now i'll give you two two things that might be unmet needs depending on your point of view hmm. graphene is expensive graphene has massive performance advantages over current uh high surface area uh conductive materials um if we can get a, a energy storage device out of a less expensive uh, alternative to graphene, that is an unmet need. So we're, we're, we're trying to go down that path. We just, we just haven't got the, the uh, chemistry where it needs to be yet, but we're definitely pursuing that. And that's a lot of people are pursuing that. Gotcha. The other so that's one, a breakthrough. Yep. Go, go yeah, for that's it. A go on the second one. Mm -hmm. The other one that's interesting is, okay, we've got a significant plastics problem in the world. Yeah. And um, uh, polylactic acid uh, which is a, a compostable uh, plastic alternative is made from corn and sugar. Okay. That's, that's not a problem. That's a good, that's a good way to go. There's another one, uh, polyhydroxyl alkanoates, which is a little better at the biodegradable story. And it also can be made from a sugar base, but there's a route for a renewable carbon base. Well, you know, Hemp is a pretty fast renewable carbon source. So, so you take the draw off of corn, right? And you'd be able to use hemp as the carbon source for these. And you'd be able to produce these plastics that are very, very uh, popular right now. And uh, that looks to be like you can get it to the, to the 80 cents a pound, you know, about where you need to be. So that's a, that's the other thing that you can you can make some um, you know you can you can make some headway with the the, the the deal flow that's needed as you 
look at what investors are looking at and how much risk they're willing to take and where the technology is. So, so you're talking about a biodegradable plastic, right, is basically what you're saying. Right. So so what you do is you take the hemp, you grow it in a renewable, so you got one. Then it's biodegradable on the back end, so you got a double. You got a double environmental story, and you've got a cost parity. So so it plays, you know? So. Yeah. And it's also, let's think about what the cost is of these ecosystems. I was talking to, you know, uh, a talented researcher out in the Adirondacks who's been uh, doing a lot of research on microplastics in those environments in the Adirondacks. And what she was telling me is they're actually finding that they are microplastics are not staying in the marine environments in the ocean that we thought they were. They're being brought into the wind stream and the jet stream and they're being deposited in ecosystems all across the country and in the Adirondacks, especially, they're seeing a lot of, of microplastics. So that's an externalized cost. But if again, and this is where I, I think, you know, when we talk about these problems, this is the this is a chance for the government to step in. The government, first off, you know, we all know that they need to take that ability for companies to externalize these costs, these microplastics, the costs on our ecosystems, our costs in our our water and our drinking water where we're, we're, we're finding microplastics um, and put a price on it. Right. you got to put a price yep. on on carbon emissions. You have to do that to now create this now it's a need now it's a need because now it's costing you more to use non-biodegradable plastic because you're getting slapped with a tax because the government's saying we got to clean up your mess and society has to clean up your mess and you are we're going to charge you uh for that right so again i i it comes to me is is i see an opportunity and a need for the government to step in here and whether it's you know coming in and saying, okay, you know, why don't we uh, fund some of this project? I mean, let's say they did in Buffalo with a Tesla facility that's sitting there empty, right? Why don't we fund uh, a facility here? Because we know it's going to create good jobs. We know it's going to help our farming communities. And we know it's going to meet some of the greatest challenges that we've ever faced in human history with, with climate change, right? But then also saying, okay, we are, you know, going to put in legislation that says you're not being taken off the hook here for depositing plastics into our fragile ecosystems and into our drinking water that we all have to deal with later on in life that we're not even even sure of some of the consequences from the health perspective do you see where i'm coming from on that oh I, no i i completely agree with you so i have i have two two schools of thought i'm totally with you if if we made uh product manufacturers uh, responsible for some of the uh, downstream afterlife of product uh, issues that microplastic is one and put a value on it, that would fund the front end uh, and it would drive the front end. Let's not have this problem in the first place. So I'm totally with you there. On on the flip side, though, I I agree that government funding would be fantastic. But I'm also nervous because, uh, you know, we can't just keep printing money. <laughs> so the priorities on what's going on has to yeah. be um, balanced. You know what I mean? So, I yeah. hey, if the government wanted to fund us, I, I've got a great $100 million project that would bring much goodness to New York State. And, I'm, you know, tell me who to call. But... You know, on on my on my uh, as a as a uh, you know as a taxpayer who the government you know the government works for me 
So it's like, okay, I want to be responsible with these dollars. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, that's true. But listen, if we're going to print money, let's get a return on our investment. You know, let's look at what yeah. the what the return is, and because you know we're we're spending money in the wrong in the wrong places, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and regardless, printing money or not, I mean, the money won't matter if we have an unstable climate. We have runaway climate change moving forward and yeah, well if, we you know, yeah no we do i mean that's that's the problem right we do we're already there i mean my kids are are gonna have to be dealing with this and my grandkids are gonna have to be dealing with this. it makes me sick that my generation is part of the problem that's why i'm into this that's why pre-process is what it is we try and solve these problems we try and yes we're doing things in the mainstream but like our lithium projects well lithium electric cars electric uh, storage for uh you know solar and wind that's why we're trying to get the lithium out of the ground so it's available to do green technology. You know, uh, hemp. Let's let's let's. You know, we have a a renewable resource instead of cutting down trees. We have a, an annual renewable resource. You know, we have products we can make from it that are in the mainstream. Let's start doing those types of things. And I'm I'm totally with you that it would be great to have a uh, you know a couple billion dollar fund that it would be set up to start some of these things so that investors could not have to get over those hurdles that, that believe me for the last two years, I've been, I've been, you know, getting hit by every hurdle possible. I've been, down, I've been, I've been on, uh, you know, Sand Hill road out in uh, Silicon Valley. I've been up to Toronto. I've been you know, out to Vancouver and to Denver. I've been down to New York city many, many times pitching the groups, trying to, trying to get excitement for this stuff. And everybody is excited, but the numbers have to play and they, yeah. they, they're tough. It's tough to get, it's tough to get them to play, you know? And so you think those two spots, you know, we're talking about biodegradable plastics, right? And uh, and then uh, the other one that you're talking about is is basically carbon for uh, electric cars, right? Um, yeah. You think those those are the two opportunities. And I, I remember, you know, we hosted a summit a couple years ago. And I remember you coming and you said there might be 25,000 uses for hemp, but let's narrow it down to the 10 that can actually be economically you know, viable. Do you, do you still, right, right. you still subscribe to that? I had to a couple years ago, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, you, you can make money doing textiles, but again, it's the same story. It's like, well, okay, I'm competing. So I'm going to have a niche market in the textile mainstream, right? I'm going to have guys that are like, yeah, I, I really like this hemp blend, um, water treatment carbon. Yeah. You, you know, but you're right. There's, there is a source already. However, the source is from overseas. So we can probably, you know, once the infrastructure is there, we can probably beat them on cost just, just because it'll be local, you know, wood replacement, right? So composites and, um, uh, the, uh, the oriented strand board, you know, hemp could be a great, uh, replacement, but there's, there's plenty of wood chips, you know, I mean, there's plenty of, um, other, uh, mainstream uses for wood where that's, that's generating the waste. So you're going to be compete with the waste of a, of an industry. So, but Oriana strand board could be a good one, you know. So there's there's a lot of uh, other things that it could be uh, competitive with. But I, I do think it would be better for the hemp industry to start focusing on educating supply chain folks on what those ten might be. And if supply chain folks have a story, you know, like the the balancing between, yeah, we want to have an environmental angle because our consumers are really looking for the environmental aspects of what we're building. Well, when you build a car. You've got to do some things that are tough to not uh, necessarily be a little rough on the environment, 
but you can balance that with doing other things that are good for the environment or good, yeah. you know, like the, the hemp insulating uh, pads or the, or even using hemp uh, fiber in fiberglass uh, instead of e-glass. So, so there's other things, but yeah, the, the, the ones that are going to make the investors kind of like, Oh, this is interesting. This is sexy and I can make money at it. Yeah. I, I think it might be the bioplastics, you know, the, the, um, you know, the bioplastic route, the degradable bioplastics, and then uh, the carbon. At least that's what we're betting on. Yeah. No, I, listen, it makes sense. And it all comes down to how can we convince those with money and those in the supply chain too, right? Because, you know, you go to this buyer who is responsible for sourcing the raw ingredients, and he's told we need to make our 40% margin to the distributor. Right. And so this is how much we can spend to make each unit, right? This is what right. our unit cost right. can be. So that's what he's looking at. But that he's also going, okay, I've got a wiggle room of maybe 10%, right? Where I can go a little bit above that cost. If we can then put a symbol on our our label that says eco-friendly, eco-sourced, American-sourced, right. et cetera, that's where we need to be, right? And right. um it sounds like we're getting close to there, but we need that push in in the infrastructure investment. And you know, personally, I would love to see not one more dollar uh, by the state government or the federal government going to CBD. I think people have enough money into it. Uh, you know, these they're, they're yeah. big boys that are running the industry here, and if they can't get it done without you know taxpayer money, then then too bad. But what can't get done without taxpayer money is something that's not only going to have a positive effect on jobs and farmers, the positive effect that we haven't really seen with CBD necessarily, right? Or or hemp, you know, extract feminized crop, um, but also have a positive impact on society and can maybe shore up our supply chains because you know let's not forget with climate change, you know, we saw supply chains collapse with an organism that can't even think, right? A right. virus can't right. think. You know, what's going to happen when we have runaway climate change and and our fate is looking like, you know, uh, another planet, our solar system, Venus, right? What's going to happen when we start to get these levels when when these places where they're sourcing carbon, where they're sourcing coconuts uh, are, are, you know, uh, places with massive instability because of, you know, refugees and migrants and maybe it's underwater even, you know, where these ecosystems have just been destroyed beyond beyond repair that shoring up the supply chain domestically, I think is starting to make a little more sense. So, you know, hopefully our policymakers can see that and, and our business leaders too, you know, uh, Warren Buffett's got a lot of cash on hand, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe some of that cash can go into, um, you know, some of these projects you're talking about. Um, so, Mark, if there's anything you can leave our listeners with, right? Because I think this episode is going to get our listeners interested, fired up. What can they do as an actionable next step that might help the industry overall? Yeah, education of the products that they're using, right? Hmm. Understand beyond what's just in front of you. Understand from where it's coming, right? That's that's I think the best thing, right? Because if if consumers start saying, you know, I, I'd really like to make a, a more economic or a, a more environmental choice. And, uh, you know, the economics get better as demand goes up, right? Because, because we get more and more uh, economy of scale. But that's, that's the best thing. Like, I, I'd love for uh, consumers to start saying, you know, you know, 5% of uh, a cottonized hemp fiber in a cotton blend. Yeah, that's, that's, I understand where that's coming from. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, less, uh, fertilizer than, than cotton. And it's, uh, a, a new, uh, uh, fiber, 
that's grown on 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 farms that are in rotation or yeah you know i'm going to look at a car that uh, hey is there is, is the insulating pad is this you know what, tell me a little more about what's in this car you know <laughs> you know things like that yeah. um and then you know just more education on uh on the possibilities that make sense i think that's that's it's it's a hard story right because people don't stop and think about that all the time but that's what it really is just be aware of what you're buying and what effect it has on it you know yeah um if folks started demanding hey i, I don't want to use plastic anymore i want i want to know that this plastic is going to go back to uh you know basically dust um you know if people really started driving that then the the manufacturers that of of the finished goods would start saying look i need i need you know, PHA resin. I need PLA resin. I can't. I can't use. Uh, you know, my normal, um, non-renewable, non-biodegradable um, resins that I've been using. That it's so. It's education, really. Yeah, it's education. If, if, yeah. I think if I had two... one thing, the hemp. Mm -hmm. All of us hemp guys should be doing is we should be having massive, massive, uh, uh, like the Got Milk campaign. You know, it's like the all right. Here's here's hemp in your future campaign or or the product supply guys you know here's let me tell you about where you can put hemp in your product supply it's all education the next couple of years I think. it is education and marketing right I mean I think there's two there's still take from that there's two things a consumer can do or a, a citizen of the United States can do that's the most powerful thing your dollar and your vote make sure oh, you're yeah. putting your dollar in the right place. And make sure you're putting your vote in the right place. These things matter; they really do. And uh, you know, you, you can't you can't say it enough. So, thanks, Mark. You know, I'm sh I'm sure we're going to bring you on again because this was fascinating. There's a lot more that we can unpack here and and talk through. So, um, thanks for coming on. Uh, really enjoyed this conversation. Anytime, Ken. Thanks for having me. We'll see you later. Absolutely. See ya. And if you want to hear more of this, like, subscribe. Uh, keep coming back week after week. We're going to have some uh, great new guests for you too. 